1: Well, clearly, everything is in extreme doses these days, my friends. It's the chipping away of Americans' freedoms. And it is a drip, drip, drip uh, effect uh, that uh, a lot of us don't really see when it's happening. And then, you know, one day we get up, we look, and we see that many of our freedoms are gone. And, and, you know, I always wonder how intentional a lot of that is because, you know, the more they take, and then if they give just a little bit back, that's sort of sometimes seen like a victory. So I think we're all being caught off guard right now with all this erosion of freedoms everywhere that is attacking us. And it's a surreal environment. I mean, number one, it's hard to, you know, grasp what's really taking place. How much time goes by before Americans react? And I've been talking about it. I've been writing about it for a little bit. I think there is absolutely a tipping point here. You can only take so much. What? What fears me the most is that we'll never get all of that back. I mean, it's so egregious right now. And it's so radical, the agenda is that I, I, that's what worries me, we're not going to get it all back, we're going to get some pieces of it. But not really what we had prior to this whole exercise. It's been a hell of a couple of years, I'll tell you, surely for our country and very much for around the world as well. But you know, America is a unique place where, you know, we took our freedom for granted. Uh, surely, I mean, you look at a lot of these other countries that are struggling as well throughout the world. I mean, Australia is having a hell of a time. New Zealand is. Uh, but throughout Europe, everyone is struggling to grab on whatever freedom they can. And, you know, they're all looking at America to think, where's that shining city on a hill? Where's that light, that beacon? Where, where is it? And I think a lot of people are sort of aghast at that around the world, looking to see. Well, that's <laughs> happening in America too, even more so. So, what's happening in, in you know their area is real. I wonder how much the media believes of its own lies. Actually, you know, do you really think? Do you ever think about that? How how much of their how many of their lies? How how much of that lie do they believe?
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, do reporters and uh, talking heads say things that they really believe? Or is it an act to get us to believe what is essentially unbelievable? You know, I think about that all the time, actually. And I wonder, you know, you, you read you, whatever you read in the news, you read online or you watch something or listen to it. I always go into it a bit of a as a skeptic. Uh, and, I, you know, I, 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 I realize that the whoever's, you know, creates the origins of that news, that media, that they have an agenda. It, it's it's just the way it is. Everybody's got an agenda. And I always accept the fact that that story is going to be tainted or twisted. So if I'm going to guess, I might go into something, believing maybe 10% of it might be somewhat accurate or a fact or a data point or something else. But the vast majority of it is going to be BS. It's going to be their belief system and whatever they're trying to push onto us. And that goes across the board. That goes with all media outlets and all... All distributors of um, content, if you will, and it comes in many, many forms today, uh, and uh, and 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 that's never going to change. It's going to get more and more. So I've been asking about this thing: does media believe its own lies or or not? And and these uh, talking heads, these reporters, it's kind of a psychology uh, of storytelling that I'm seeing. It's there, it, there's always a psychology behind these things. Uh, And and it's all sort of a storytelling effect, you know, i got to tell you, truth be told, and this is going to sound like a crazy statement, but the only saving grace I see right now in all of this is that Joe Biden is doing a great job in destroying not only himself, but the agenda of the Democrat Marxist left. And I mean, if there's any saving grace, that's it. And sometimes, you know, we, we run those headlines like, "Okay, feel the pain. Don't don't take the pain away right now. And when we say that, I mean, Doesn't sound really nice, but the key is to get through these next couple of elections and uh, really transition uh, the momentum and uh, the future direction of this country. And that's going to take a little bit of doing right now because a lot of the damage that's been done. And it's like these social programs and welfare programs and economic busts that they're working on up there. Uh, You know, you can't give it and then take it away. So that's why they go bigger. They go home. They always throw these big things out there, and, and they want to give as much free as way they can because you almost can't reverse those policies. We've seen that back with the New Deal, and we've seen that uh, historically. It, you know, they always put it as a temporary mode, but you know, it always comes back to uh, to be a permanent program. That's that's what it is, and and it's, it's that social welfare net of the government that continues to expand. Wow, is that ever true today, I have to tell you. All right, so this gets a little interesting now uh, on a couple of these stories that matter. And I, I want to talk to you here first about uh, CNN's Brian Stelter. You know the dude there. And uh, all right, so he uh, did a whole segment. He hosted a segment over the weekend calling for uh, reporters to cover Republicans differently than Democrats. Now, you, did you see this? Because it was quite, quite fascinating, quite interesting. So he invited the Los Angeles Times columnist, uh, Jackie Combs, on his uh, program there to to declare that journalists need to stop covering the country's two political parties equally. (laughs) Like like that's been happening in the past, you know, because the modern Republicans don't really care, he says, if government works well. That's his... uh, Uh, point that he makes with uh, Jackie Combs. I want you to listen to this opening segment. Uh, It's quite fascinating, actually. Back to normal. here. give it a listen.
0: A thought-provoking column in the Los Angeles Times recently, let me show you the headline. It says, journalists are failing the public with both-siderism in political coverage. The author of that column is a veteran journalist who spent many years at the New York Times and now is at the LA Times. Her name is Jackie Combs. She's here with me now. Jackie, Great to see you. I want to dive right into your argument uh, about right. what both siderism is uh, and and why it's failing the public. Who who's you know is it that we're treating Democrats and Republicans equally and ignoring GOP radicalism? Is it radicalism? Is that the heart of the problem?
2: In in a sense, I mean, I there's no there's no question that um, journalists are recognizing the radicalization of the Republican Party. Um, I think what's changed a little bit is that tr- since Trump left office, there's more of a sense that, that maybe we're back to normal. Both sides is sort of like, you know, to be simplistic about it, is if you say, well, you have reported something that's somewhat critical of Republicans. Then you sort of have to say something along the lines of, but both sides do it. Democrats are, are guilty as well. And for years, that was sort of, you know, simplistically, that was I was able to do that and everyone else was able to do that. But by increasingly from 1995 on, no, it mm. was asymmetric, as the political scientists call it. And it was m- more descriptive of Republicans than Democrats.
0: And you cover this in your book, Dissent, De- uh, De- showing it's called dissent, but it's also the descent of the <laughs> GOP.
1: Now, I'll tell you, you know, I have a hard time uh, in any circles defending any political party or any uh, system at this point, uh, truth be told. But uh, this is rich. This is really, really rich. The radicalization of the Republican Party. I mean, uh, you know, and then since Trump left office, you know, she talks about this back to normal business. That whole normal business is part of the problem and and these people know it. I mean, they promised a new normal and they've been delivering on that new normal. They've never taken their foot off the gas when it comes to uh, stealing uh, people's liberties. Uh, They've never taken that. I mean, those lockdowns and mandates keep coming and coming. Forced vaccinations, forced, you know, everything is is sort of shifting and uh, people are fearful and they're fighting uh, to, for those freedoms to get them back. The, you know, you think about this radicalization of the Republican party and I started thinking, like, uh, how radical are they? What's really going on? Because I find them rather boring, actually. I don't really see a hell of a lot radical in there it, within the Republican party. I mean, I see a lot of old people. I see a lot of, uh, you know, people that, uh, I'm talking about in political office now, uh, is what I'm speaking of. I see a lot of, uh, uh, establishment uh, politicians uh, that go along—that you know would go along with all of this stuff—but the radicalization. I mean, what does that really mean? What? Where is somebody like Stelter and Combs coming across with this concept? Of, I mean, can anyone tell me, help me, convince me, show me where the radicalization is? I, I don't. I don't really understand this. I mean, where? What's radical? What are they doing? I mean, I, I, they're kind of boring to me. I don't really see anything radical about them. I, I can't think of anything, actually. You know, it really doesn't come to my mind what's radical. But, you know, maybe it's radical to um, fight the uh, collapse of our energy industry in our uh, country. Maybe that's radical to them. Maybe it's radical to fight back on you know, the entire, the total decimation and bankrupting of our nation and the increasing of a debt that we'll never, we'll never get back from. I mean, we're, we're in uncharted territories and we continue to move past the goalpost way the hell past. Um, And so that's, you know, that's, that's a problem. I mean, all of these things, I, I don't understand what's radical. Is it radical to be patriotic? Is it radical to stand for the flag? Is it radical to love God? You know, what's radical exactly? Is it radical to try to get our deficits back in line? Is it radical to, you know, want to become energy independent? What part is radical? This is, I I really have a hard time wrapping my mind around this, truth be told. I, I, I mean, what is radical here? Is it radical to ask people to work for a living? Is a radical to keep the government in check? I mean, where is the radical? I, you know, I, I tell you, I, I, I guess in some ways, I, I wish they were a little more radical. Actually, I, I, that could be potentially a good thing. Yeah, and in a good way depends what they're radical on, of course. But you see, the the left and the entire. Uh, t- Swallowing hole of the Democrat Party from the Marxist left, you know, Uh, and I'm talking that extreme part of that party, which is you you talk about radical, but they don't bring that up at all. Stelter and Combs never bring that up; doesn't come into play at all. Only comes up as the radicalization of the Republican Party and the fact uh, we really can't treat these both parties the same. They're sort of different, you know, and and we'll get into that in just a moment. What what's different about them? Because she goes on and says a bit more here uh, with Stelter in that interview. But so, you know, I'm wondering to myself, how much of this do they really believe? Does Stelter, and Con- I mean, or do they put this all out there as just rich food for people to swallow whole? And how many will actually swallow it and believe, yeah, that Republican Party is damn radical, man. <laughs> I don't know what's up with them. You know, I mean, how many people do you think would believe that? Well, obviously, there's there's a percentage of them in this country that absolutely would believe that. And of course, they just keep beating the same drum these people do. And they they flip the conversation. It's psychology 101. They tell you what they are, but they blame it on you. It's a, it's a perfect thing. And, and the media world does this very rich, very, very richly. I mean, they got this nailed down. And I chuckle every time I see these headlines or see these stories or these interviews and I... I just you know you just want to vomit you know because it's all lies it's all lies the radicalization I mean I mean I'm not a partisan I mean I can look at this thing I mean where where is it I mean you know you take a look at what they're trying to do with the Green New Deal and and uh, you know socialize our nation and really make it a communist country that would be radical you know adding another you know whatever five trillion six seven trillion on the outset when you add all the other fees in and what they're doing and the things they don't tell us about. I mean, that's insanity. That's a hell of a lot of money. I mean, how do we ever get back from that? That that's not radical. All these free programs, you know, is that radical? Of course it is. So the, the psychology in this is entirely rich how they flip the entire conversation to me. And, uh, I, I think it's quite clever how, uh, uh, stelter and comms do it. But I, I do wonder how much of this do they really believe? I mean, do they really believe that in their hearts that the Republican party are the radical ones? I mean, I, I kind of find them boring. You know, I, I don't see radical there. Now the left, I find them, they're far more exciting and radical and they go for what they believe. You've got to give them credit there. I mean, they are looking for a communist country, obviously. They want the social safety net. And they want everybody to get everything from, you know, from big government. So nobody's got any freedoms left and do what you're told and walk in line and get your shots and put your mask on and shut the hell up. I mean, that is their vision of a utopia, of a beautiful world. And it's what they're after clearly. I mean, this is not a hidden, I, you don't have to make this stuff up people. It's just the way it is. But the richness in this is absolutely off the charts. Now, gets a little more interesting. I want you to listen to this, where uh, she talks about an anti-government uh, party. as another fascinating piece uh, to this interview with Stelter and Combs, give it a listen.
0: Right. But that of course causes more alienation, right? It causes re- Republican readers to just dismiss all the coverage. So is, there, is this just a vicious cycle? How do you, where do you see us going, Jackie?
2: It is, it is difficult. And I have to say that some of the, you know, response I got that was critical to that column suggested that I was saying we shouldn't be objective anymore, we shouldn't be fair and balanced. Um, Of course we should, but I just think an objective and fact-based treatment of the news often means you can't um, report something that Republicans are doing without and, and suggest that this is indicative of a broader, more general problem in our politics without being clearer somehow that it is, no, this is peculiar to Republicans, this is the nature of the Republican Party. And I think it's rooted in a, um, in, in a dynamic in which the Republican Party, which at the beginning of my career proudly was a small government party, styled itself that way, is now an anti-government party and which means it, it doesn't really care if government works well, and in fact, when there's a Democrat as president, they do their darndest to make sure government doesn't work well because they think that redounds to them uh, politically. Uh, so I, I just think the one thing that made me write that column is a sense that there has been, like I said at the outset, a people feeling like, well, without Trump in the picture, we're, we're sort of back to normal. And in fact, we're not. Trump still runs the party. The Republicans in Congress still march to his beat. And um, he himself is very much still in the picture and um, could conceivably be president again someday.
1: And that scares the hell out of her and Stelter for sure, although it gave Stelter a lot of rich content. Uh, But it it scares them because their their ideology and their... um, their marching orders are far more important to them than their ratings at the moment. Uh, I mean, that's something I see with all the rhetoric they, they spew out there. This is interesting. Now. Uh, I, you almost, you probably spit out your coffee when she says, well, you yeah, know, anytime, I don't know what this comes is talking about, but anytime there's a Democrat as president, you know, the, the Republicans, they don't want the government to work well. They won't work with them. Wow, wow, wow. Well, boy, is that resonant of, uh, of Donald Trump's administration over those four years? Did, did the Democrats work well with Trump? Did they ever try to assist in any regard? Did they hold his hand for two seconds? Did they support or approve anything he did? And then did they even, uh, you know, did they not fight to get him out of office? Did they not try everything under the sun to remove him? I mean... That never comes up at all in this conversation, but yet they want you to believe that anytime there's a Democrat president, the Republicans really work hard so that they get nothing done. It's it's unimaginable that these people could utter those words after what they did to number 45. I mean, it's re- it's remarkable. I mean, I've never seen in my life a president attacked more and obliterated more than they did try and trying to get number 45 i mean it it doesn't exist democrat or republican on any side of the aisle or anything close trump was an entire threat to the system to the establishment and they responded accordingly right right that that's a fact doesn't matter where you fall in the political spectrum that's a fact I mean, they spent every waking hour in trying to uh, surmise some some new way, some new direction that they, you know, impeach 25th, uh, mentally deranged, uh, you know, conspiracies, Russian, peeing on prostitutes in Moscow. I mean, you name it. And they came up with it. They tried everything. They even tried to impeach him when he was out of office. Yeah, you laugh. Yeah. And then these people, Stelzer and Combs, the L.A. columnist, comes out and says, well, you know, anytime there's a Democrat as president, you know, the the Republicans don't want government to work well. They won't work with them. (laughs) It's remarkable. So they're asking for Republicans to work with them, meaning they want Republicans to entirely decimate our economy, to blow our energy system to hell, to destroy our country, bankrupt it, destroy us, ruin us that's the kind that would be terrific for comms and stelter then they can sit back and say well these guys really worked with us man they did a hell of a job uh, can you know it's almost like a visual like you walk across an area where a bomb went off you know it's just a visual i see and you walk across and you see the garbage spew everywhere and the damage is extensive and it's massive and it's as far as your eye can see or maybe it's a tornado that came through and just cleaned up the whole place and so you can see is the eye is this, this massive damage all around you, whatever it is. And that's kind of what I see here with these people. That's what they're looking for. It's just, and if that happened, then the next interview, you'll see a, a stelter, a Brian stelter, and this uh, uh, comes here from the um, Los Angeles. She's a columnist of Los Angeles uh, Times, Jackie comes. Uh, you could see them walking across that battle, strong, obliterated area and say, well, we really accomplished what we needed to here. Uh, it's good, Brian. It's really good. And, you know, it was really good because they worked with us. Those, those Republicans were swell, swell, really good brothers and sisters here. They worked with us and look at the result. Yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty remarkable, isn't it? We accomplished everything we needed to. You have to think what kind of a world. Are these people really seeking? Yeah, you don't have to answer that. You can uh, just surmise here already. It's it's uh, it's crazy. So I love that that uh, that uh, statement that, uh, regarding the Democrats uh, that when there's a president that Republicans won't work with them is, is uh, beyond anything I could uh, add to that from what I've told you. But that's my visual. Now this other thing uh, they okay they used to believe in a small gov- government government. Party. They used to be the Republican Party, a small government party, Jackie Combs says. Now it's an anti-government party. Well, you know, I think a lot of Americans are becoming more anti-government, quite frankly. I I think that is a reality. I mean, because there is no such thing as a small government. And back to what Jackie Combs says, well, they really used to believe in a small government. Yeah, but we're so far down the road from that. I mean, we're that is law. That's not even a visual anymore. That's 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 stupid talk. I mean, that's not on the it's not on the menu. OK, it's it's not, it's not on the menu. It's not there. It doesn't exist. And so and, and you see that you know, small government, I mean, there, there's nothing even remotely that resembles that. And now so they say, well, they have sort of become an anti-government party. Well, you call it what you want. I mean, I think a lot of people are very suspect. And when you see the damage right now, that has been done with government. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it seems to surprise uh, Brian Stelter and Jackie Combs, though. It seems to surprise them. And they don't really care if government works well. Well, the point is, people, government doesn't work well. Government hasn't worked well in a very long time. I mean, I I harpen back to the uh, the days of uh, Newt Gingrich and Tip O'Neill and uh, the Reagan era, you know, and they had their struggles. Now, some people would look at that and say, well, government worked well. Well, they still had their ideological differences. Naturally, jackass and an elephant. Right. You still had all that. You know, they would fight like hell during the day. But then. They weren't as radical as they are today, and they they could literally go out for a drink or celebrate or talk or something, and that actually happened. And um, they were never on the same page specifically. So it depends, you know, how how you look at that, but doesn't really care if government works well. You know, this government is designed to be checks and balances. It's to keep it all in line. And and the framers really try to do a, a brilliant job of trying to put these three massive branches of government together and have these checks and balances that would keep us on the, uh, the road to riches or the road to freedom or the road forward as a nation, that we would never go back in time, you know? And I think that was the overarching mission here that they were trying to pull off. But we were always a country of diversity, always a country of different thoughts, uh, and, and that was understood. And, and even back then, there were talk. There was, you know, such, such a thing as a communist party in America. And, but it, it was in the closet. It was minute. It wasn't really a big deal. But a lot of things were in the closet back then. And that's all. Nothing's sacred anymore. There is no. You just, you take your dirty underwear. You put it on Main Street. You know? And, you, and, and that's the thing about where we're at with the social warriors and the cultural shift. Everybody wants you to accept their program, their lifestyle, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Gay, straight, black, white, this, that, the other. doesn't matter. But that's, you know, if you don't accept that, you're called all kinds of names. And back then, you know, there were a lot of those things that weren't accepted, but people kept to their business. And there wasn't really the need to have to run out and tell everybody what your sex life was like or who you were sleeping with and why you had this belief system and why you needed to accept it. Damn it. You know that 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 wasn't kind of there. You know, I mean, m- most people didn't really care. Uh, there were some that did. They would point out there was a time when you know a, a, a black and white couple walking down the street would would turn heads, and people would talk. Or you could go to a dinner party, and they'd see that, and that would be the talk of the town. Or you'd never be invited to the dinner party because of such. You know, just like if you were a gay person, two women or two guys, and walking or kissing or what have you that would have been looked at as you know really bad and but today it's all out there terrific whatever but then it's the belief that everybody needs to accept that and then we want more rights than you so we want more rights more opportunities than you or your are you know, homophobic or racist or whatever it is isn't that the way it is so it absolutely is the way it is so so people are pushing back i think we're seeing that i think a lot of people are tired of this rhetoric and they are absolutely pushing back uh, i i find this talk with uh, brian stelter uh and uh, jackie colms the la times columnist uh a psychology trip through a warped crack trip of wonderland somehow Uh, none of anything they said is the direct opposite of anything they put out there. So I just wonder, do they really believe what they're spewing out there with the American people or is it a trick? Is it just an act to get people to think that knowing they know the opposite and to see how many people will follow them off the deep end? You know, I, I wonder that all the time with, with the uh, content that's uh, put out here and the, and the, uh, Uh, agenda that's tied to all of this content is absolutely remarkable. Uh, You think about these political parties and the radicalization of what's happening in America. And again, I, 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 you know, I I think patriots I'll I'll speak for patriots right now, conservatives, um, patriotism, uh, people who love the constitution. uh, People love God. I'll speak for those people. And I think that, uh, you know, I think they're up to their eyebrows with all of this at this point. And I think they'd like to see the Republican Party become a little radical at this point, a little eye-opening, and push back hard. See? That's the I mean, you, you can you can capture that however you want. People love to talk about civil wars and revolutionary wars and where we're at and this and that. I'm just talking about push back hard. Demand the truth. That's what I'm saying, right? That's what I mean by push back hard. That's a radical position today, and it would be for the Republican Party. You know, you get one or two who might say something, but it 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 just peters right away. It just doesn't even like. There's no movement. There's no organization. There's no unity. It's always on the Marxist left. Those people are definitely unified now. It is quite humorous right now to see the struggle within the party between those people and the others. And then Mansion and Cinema kind of are squeezed right there in the middle, trying to say, wait, wait, wait a minute. There is such thing as a, a moderate Democrat. I mean, it's kind of a unicorn. But then again, today, Mansion and Cinema would be unicorns, wouldn't they? And if it wasn't for those unicorn beliefs. Well, I have news for you. They would already have this uh, social agenda buttoned up and it, it would have been passed already. And we'll see what will happen ahead because then you have negotiations and then all these policies and plans and all of the 1000000000000s that they're passing through are total garbage. I mean, how much of that you think it's going to go back to the elite state is where it's going to go. How many things come back to the average American? It's not. The only thing they're going to do is give those social network programs to the few of the crumbs, which is what Nancy Pelosi would always say, the crumbs. So they'll give those Uh, So they can capture the big money up front, and that's what you're going to have. And and in the meantime, uh, they're digging a hole so deep for our nation that, uh, sadly, uh, friends, I don't know how we ever come back from it. Uh, And that's not just a statement or or an empty, uh, uh, you know, phrase. It's uh, it's it's the god's honest truth. I mean, we are we are in some dangerous territory now. We we can't uh, we can't sustain this. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable at all. I'm I'm talking about our, our, our balance sheet as a nation, it's not sustainable. I mean, there, there is, there there is a pain point here and we are fast approaching it. Now we're on the high speed track to that. So anyway, it's very interesting on the stories that matter uh, here today. And, uh, I uh, want to remind you here to uh, join us back and visit us back at AmericaOutLoud.com. Of course, there. And let me also remind you to get your healthy cell. If you haven't, in fact, if you haven't taken it today, if you haven't, remind yourself to get it out and take it. And if you don't have it, well, you go to healthycell.com forward slash out loud. All our listeners get 20% off the first order. You can click the banner ad back at America out Loud as well. But my friends, nothing is more important than your health. And the health of your cells is vital. And if there's one thing I've learned through this whole COVID exercise and all the personal uh, challenges we've gone through here, my wife and I, it is exactly what I say to you. It, It is key. When you don't have your health, you pretty much have nothing. When you're failing to that point and you're really sick. So you want to remember that. This has got to be the biggest priority in your life. Please put this right at the top of the list and to hell with the rest of it, okay? All right? please. There's an AMPM product you can take. There's gel form. It's a terrific line of products here. Immune Super Boost. You've got REM Sleep Focus. There's an assortment of fabulous products. They get to the health of your cell. They're second to none. I, I believe it. And I've been taking this product for over three and a half years. I am a great poster child for believing in this because it is very effective it works and you feel good you you just know it's having an impact on your body you, you know you know when it gets into your system that way that's the beautiful thing about a gel by the way it gets into your body real fast rather than a pill form but anyways healthycell.com forward slash out loud first order gets a 20 off as well and uh take care of yourself that's the most important thing here my friends Well listen, we're going to take a quick pause here We'll be back in just a moment here You're listening to the Voice of a Nation
0: Our global experts are brilliant writers
1: And engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime You'll find the latest news and inspiration On the front page of AmericaOutloud.com
0: Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not so, why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill free, patent pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great. Convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off.
1: It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. One of the other stories that mattered to me was, uh, you gotta love this one, Ilhan Omar. Uh, so she's blaming the dysfunctional police for the Minneapolis violent crime spike. That was the headline, okay? All right. So I did a triple take on that one, was far beyond a double take. And I thought, what? She's blaming the dysfunctional police for the violent crime spike. Okay, you can read a lot into that headline. She says, what we must also recognize is that the reduction in policing currently in our city and the lawlessness that is happening is due to two things. And she was at a town hall meeting. uh, And and this is really, well, back to being really rich. And you got to wonder, now with Omar, when I ask her, does she really believe it? Yes, she really believes this because she she would define radicalization. She's the definition of it, you understand? So yes, she really does believe this. And it is in her heart, and it is how she thinks, and, th- and that I can tell you right now. And this is what she wants, and I, I, because we can see this. So what's happening now is the, the violent crime uh, in Minnesota, shock, awe, gas, fall on the floor and roll over, right? Uh, over the last year, rose uh, 17% in total while setting records for murders, Now, her approach to crime includes uh, back in this November 2nd ballot measure to replace the entire Minneapolis Police Department with a Department of Public Safety. Remember that? It was going to be the the safety people. Um, No more cops. Get rid of the police department. The measure would remove the requirement that the city have a minimum number of officers based on the city's population, which is what the law would be now. And uh, so I want you to hear this. Uh, this now, what I'm going to play for you right now was June 2020. So it's just a little bit ago. This was at the height of all of tearing our city support, burning, burning shit down. All of that was going on. And these are her words here. Now now that she's got a different um, uh, you know, message out there, listen to her words, please. I will never co sign on funding a police department that continues to brutalize us. And I will never stop saying not only do we need to
2: disinvest for in police but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. The Minneapolis Police Department is rotten to the root. And so when we dismantle it,
1: we get rid of that cancer and we allow for something beautiful to rise. And that reimagining allows us to figure out what public safety looks like for us. Yeah, sort of like that summer of love in uh, Portland. Uh, very much, uh, very similar to that indeed. All of this is now um, uh, coming back to haunt these people here. So, you hear her back in June. She talks about her words completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. That sentiment echoed all around our nation. And, you know, we heard that from a lot of police departments and many of the urban cities and many, surely all the blue cities and the big urban areas that were having a lot of troubles with crime. And they went on this to the surprise to everybody was aghast at this, that they were, I mean, it it seemed like it was sort of a corny joke at first. Now, again, back to the psychology of uh, content is what I'm talking about. It's really a good way to look at it. Psychology of content. And this, when it was to fund the police, to fund the police, it was like, you know, I thought, what do they really want? They can't really be talking about that, are they? Well, again, now back to what we talked about earlier with Brian Stelter uh, and uh, Jamie Combs there. Well, you know, they, they would be perfectly fine. That's not radical to them. No, to fund the police, this is not radical at all. Perfectly legit in their world. Right? I mean, think about that. But they, they don't point any of that out. No, it's those born Republicans who are radical. Yeah. yeah, Probably because they stand for the flag and honor God. That would be radical in the world, wouldn't it? I mean, come on now, people. I mean, you know, so there's this there's, um, there's dismantling now, and uh, she says here, the Minneapolis Police Department is rotten to the roots. So she tears them a new one. And this went on, there were a lot of speeches with her doing this over a period of time. I mean, she was one of the most vocal in the nation and there, there were a handful of others in her squad and on that crazy Marxist uh, highway there uh but she was right up there with the very very best that's why I found her audio and I thought let me remind you all and play that for you you know uh so yeah it's one thing to me to say something on here that she said something another thing when you hear somebody's voice and they said that back in such and such you know uh, she blames police now for the uh, for this crime rise been, I'm sharing with you here in Minneapolis. Uh, and she accuses the officers there in Minneapolis of not fulfilling their oath of office. Now, this is as, after she calls them rotten to the core and she asks for their dismantling. And you heard her passion as she talked there. And now she's accusing them of not fulfilling their oath of office. <laughs> Yeah, the Minneapolis Police Department is the most dysfunctional in our state and probably in the country, Omar says. Those are her words. Bring her forward a little bit here. So now that she's done all that and accomplished a great deal on this defundant, not just in Minneapolis, as I say, because her her talk was echoed and a lot of the radicals picked it up and many of the others picked it up, even on the other side of that aisle. And they ran that home all over the place. And we started seeing those cuts all over the place. And People were paying the price this. And crime started to rise exponentially. And uh, and we've seen the results of what happened. So CNN had a, a, a headline article here, U.S. crime rise not letting up in major cities. A couple of months ago here, the U.S. saw significant crime rise across major cities throughout 2020. And it's not letting up. Major American cities saw a 33% increase in homicides last year. Wow, that's remarkable. Now, keep in mind, anytime you see these kind of stats and numbers, what have you, they're going to blame it on COVID. That's, they blame anything on COVID because that is such a handy-dandy virus to blame stuff on, you see? So that's that's the go-to. But of course, it has not a damn thing to do with anything. In fact, it would be the opposite because most people were locked up in the lockdown mode. Or, you know, run around in panic with mask on or looking for the nearest shots and get jabbed. That's where most people were. So they certainly weren't out creating crime. But yet that's the kind of crime factor from this because there's no law enforcement. And the law enforcement has been decimated and the defundant and all of that. And it's still happening today. Well, now there's a little bit of a kickback on this now. And there's an interesting piece. uh, Oh, this was just... uh, Oh, less than two weeks ago here. This is brand new. Out of Law Enforcement Today. I like this publication. They always have some good stuff there. As crime skyrockets across America, cities that defunded police are trying to quietly restore the funding. Well, I kind of chuckled when I read that clearly. And we kind of thought that would probably be the result when they were walking around with insanity uh, in the insane uh, gesture of uh, defunding anything to do with law enforcement. And quite frankly, they wanted to fund the military as well. I want to pull the military budgets down and all of that. That's another piece of this, keep in mind. So this, now this would be, this would come under the total guise of radical. This this defines radical. A lawless society, Wild West, this is it right here. Of course, Brian Stelter doesn't point any of that out in all of his uh, uh, machinations, right? Not a thing. So we see this, uh, push over the last uh, couple of years now defunding the police and and the police have been uh, become the poster child for everything that ails us since Ferguson is is the truth of that story. And they're really being used in a, in a way uh, to achieve other objectives. It's really nothing to, it has less to do with them. They were just handy. uh, They were convenient at the moment is what I'm going to suggest to you. I don't think it was anything personal. I don't think they really cared how they got it done. But they were a tool. They were just, sadly, they were used as a tool, just like our military is as well. But they were used as a tool. And uh, and that's what they did. It, it creates more chaos, more crime, more... And again, it's the shiny object syndrome. You're busy dealing with all that. So now you can do all this other stuff. Now you see what's happening with all these other programs and the expansion and Uncle Sam blowing up and all this going on. Well, everybody's busy over here. You're dealing with COVID. You're dealing with defunded police issues. You're dealing with crime in your local communities. You're dealing with all kinds of inflation problems, no energy, expensive gas. See, those are all, you create crises and you confuse the hell out of people. And that's what they're doing, my friends. As sick as it sounds, it's all self-inflicted. Showing that article for law enforcement today, This was this was a good one here. While we all stood here shaking our heads, wondering if these people were serious on the defund the police. I love this. They cut billions, that's billions, of dollars in funding for police. As a result, well, just two plus two. It's always two plus two with these kinds of moronic things. Crime skyrocketed, two plus two. All while the same politicians said, you don't need guns, Government will protect you. Don't worry. Johnny, Sally, government's got your ass. Yeah, that's it. So not only are they attacking the police, but your Second Amendment rights as well. And that's all part of this movement now, people. That's to create the uh, communist states of America as well. Forget the socialism's warm and fuzzy. It's really Marxist, what we're talking about here. Going through a few examples, because there's nothing better than to show data and talk real real numbers. I mean, we can talk hypothetically and blow smoke all day long, people, but, you know, and lie or do what stelter and comms does and just distort every fact or truth, tell you what is untrue, so you'll think it is true. And in the meantime, we get our agenda approved because it's the direct opposite of what we told you. That's the strategy they always use the left, you know. But take a look at Austin, Texas. The Austin City Council unanimously voted in in 2020 to cut the police department budget. You may remember this, 150 million bucks, a lot of money. That's a third of their total budget. The total budget is only 430 million. So that was, that was a big slice. You, you take that kind of money out of a city like that and you're gonna, you're gonna feel some pain, people. In uh, August, 2020, uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, he came out and shared the results of a study. This is in the Wall Street Journal now and shared that uh, the stats for Austin, and he argued strongly against Austin's decision to target law enforcement funding. I remember the moment this happened. I remember Abbott coming out and doing this because this Austin was right up front. Very, very liberal urban Democrat city in a, in a red state, uh, but believe me, this is, uh, this is definitely uh, a blue, hard blue leftist state, uh, city in a red state. So the new study showed that Austin, Texas, being the number one city in America in the year-to-year percentage increase in murders is what Abbott shared, the governor, with a percentage increase of more than 64% for the first half of the year. That's crazy stuff, people. That's crazy stuff. This was all shared by Governor Abbott. Austin also had year-to-year increase in the percentage rate of aggravated robberies And robberies uh, increased by 16%. When crime is on the rise, the last thing that we should do is to defund law enforcement, Abbott says. And yet, Austin did so. And residents this year are reportedly experiencing a dramatic increase in crime. Property crime, up 50%. Homicides? How about up 185%? Hold on to your hat. There's a big wind to come in, people now without any real fanfare no big notices very quiet one of these that's what they tend to do in the in in the midst of the nightfall you know it's how they always do these things the new budget 2021 2022 budget has now seen a restoration of police funding to the tune of 442 million reportedly the highest ever so austin is learning some hard lessons aren't they you see the crime makes the city unlivable make the people will leave and certainly patriots aren't going to stay there. And then you end up with, with a hellhole, a third world hellhole. And that's where a lot of these places like Los Angeles, New York, and Seattle, that's what they're becoming. They're already there. Well, Let's talk about New York. Another example, July of 2020, New York City, they slashed uh, their police department by a billion. Okay. Uh, you, you remember this now. I mean, th- this de Blasio is a cancer to anything that represents a human being. Billion dollars in part by cut They cut all over time, uh, reallocating funds to other agencies, moving funds to infrastructure, social programs. You know, again, public safety, Kumbaya, that sort of thing. Give everybody a bottle of perfume. You'll smell better, you know? New York City has also seen a restoration of that police budget now. The Big Ample experienced a 64% increase in shootings after that defunding people. Crime has continued to increase there in 2021. Crime stats showed a almost 20 percent increase in felony assaults, increase in robberies, increase in vehicle theft. Uh, All this is up. All this is a problem. And so when you see places like New York City, Austin and others, uh, they're back to increasing the the police budget. According to The New York Times, the city's largest budget ever was approved this year by the city council with a vote of thirty nine to six. And includes a 200 million increase in spending for the New York Police Department, the good old NYPD. And that includes 166 million increase in police overtime. Sad part of all that is a lot of good cops have left. A lot of them have retired. Some have just quit. Some weren't going to be part of this uh, torture. And a lot of people don't want the fact that they're not being respected. Sadly, a lot of good people have left police departments, the NYPD, which really was the best in class in the, in the country, in the nation, and others throughout the country have left. They've left in droves. I mean, and who can blame them? And who can blame them? It's a thankless profession. You know, it used to be a beautiful thing. Young boys would want to grow up to be a cop. And that kind of stopped now. You know Whether that industry ever comes back or what happens, it's, it's hard to know at this point. The damage is serious. And the, this should be a wake-up call to all Americans to understand what we're dealing with, with radical, what really radical means and how to define radical, okay? Uh, Los Angeles is another one. They also had to reverse the defundant process. According to PBS, frontline LA mayor, Eric Garcetti, responded to the anti-police protests after all of this uproar by cutting the police department funding remember, by $150 million. But this year, though, crime went through the roof again. He increased the police budget back. Same thing. Dallas also experienced an increase in police funding over 2020 figures. Last year, Dallas increased the police budget overall but and, and slashed some dollars. But they also have been, you know, had to do a reverse around. Their mayor, Eric Johnson, he, he says this. Dallas needs a more robust community police and effort to fight violent crime and strengthen neighborhoods. And to get there, the city needs to hire more police officers. There's no question about it. Duh. (laughs) It's kind of a V8 moment, isn't it? Well, law enforcement today says, and listen to this now, this makes sense. Well, 85% of Americans support law enforcement. Hello? There is a God, I told you. 85% 85% of Americans, and the other 50% are Marxist communists. So who gives her ass, right? Ship them out. But of course the country supports a lawful society, and who wouldn't? I mean, this is how you want to raise your family, right? Of course. And they say here these may not have the loudest voices yet, but they are among, nevertheless, back in the blue. Meaning that the vast majority of Americans don't have the loudest voices that are supporting that. But the one who have the loudest voices is always the minority of the radical. And that's part of the problem we're having today. And I want to point that out to you right now. The radical, the loudmouths, they're the ones who definitely get the attention. And then they make that like that's popular. And then media outlets like your CNNs and all these other crackpots, uh, the content providers go along with it. Thinking that, oh, yeah, that's that's like a real thing. Again, the psychology of content is what we're talking about here, you know, and then it's not a real thing. It's it's all radical. It's BS. So they try to point out what's not radical, that it is radical. And what is radical is just a normal way of life. It's all called the psychology of content. People just keep putting it out there. Just keep sinking the ship. Interesting piece I seen with Daily Caller News Foundation. I want to share with you. This was this was really good. Maurice Richards, former chief of police, Martinsburg, West Virginia. This is a new piece, just a couple of months ago. Here, the left unleashed a crime wave on America. Here's how we stop it. How to fix the crime wave? We know how to reduce crime. It's been done before in the early 1990s, and For more than 20 years after the NYPD and the Chicago Police Department and Los Angeles Police Department achieved amazing reductions in violent crimes and homicides, tens of thousands of young men's lives were saved, mostly black lives. No American institution is more dedicated to saving black lives than the police. Let me say that again. No American institution is more dedicated to saving black lives than the police, law enforcement today says. Remember, a lot of those police officers are black. The vast majority in the urban cities are, my friends. So where was the real fight? Well, the real fight was a fight about communism. It wasn't about police. They were just a handy tool at the moment, you know? So now there was a four-part strategy. And, you, and think about this, please, but this, this was effective because this, this is what uh, Giuliani did in New York and it was highly effective. But the first one was police were assigned to high crime areas where they proactively engaged and arrested violent offenders. The second thing, cities implemented the broken windows police and model, you've heard this, based on the theory that when nonviolent police disorder crimes are tolerated, it results in community fear increase and more serious crime. Police departments engage in quality of life, law enforcement, it's what people want, preventing violent crime. We all want our kids to be safe, our wives and our families to be safe, and we all want that, don't we? Well, if you're not, uh, uh, sure you do, unless you're a Marxist radical lunatic. And you have no value of life. But of course we do. The third thing, police built trust and communication through partnerships with the community. And the fourth, local and county prosecutors worked police to hold offenders accountable for their crimes, aggressively pursued convictions, and obtained appropriate sentences. This is common sense policing, and it works, they said. America is under attack from within by elites who seek to bury traditional American values and rebuild the nation in their image. Their path to power has been a march through our cultural institutions to capture education, media, Hollywood, the arts, courts, law enforcement. Some have been lost already and survival of the law and the police hangs on the balance. My friends, I thought that was perfectly said. And that was said by Maurice Richards, the former chief of police in Martinsburg, West Virginia, captures the moment perfectly. You know, I tell you all the time, the beauty of America is our diversity. That will always be my talking point. It's it's one of the most amazing things I love about our country It's exactly what the Marxist left used to try to divide us is what I love about our nation. Always have always as a young man, as a young lad and today even. You know, the strength and beauty of America is that our country unites people of all races across shared values, faith, freedom, family, our history. It's not perfect, people. It was never supposed to be perfect. But what makes America unique are those founding principles, which compel us to continually improve. And we do. We have. We learn. We improve. We grow. That's the America I love. That is the Charnes City on a Hill right there. That's what we need to strive for, people. That's our goal, liberty and justice for all. It's doable. So the psychology of content, don't fall for the trickery. That's that's the cancer in all of this. And we need to wake people up to the truth. The beauty of America is the truth, and it is our diversity. And I'll hang my hat on that every day. And I thank you for being with me on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud.